in anybody, in anything, Lord, but God, in you alone. And so, God, we thank you for that. We thank you, God, for your presence here this morning and, and pray, Lord, that you would just be made known here today, that you would give, as we give you this time, that, that you would just move in our midst, Lord, that we are open to you and to your leading today. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you can go ahead and be seated. And our Kickstart kids, you guys, our fourth and fifth graders, you guys can stand up and head on out. You guys are going to have a great time today. Let me uh, tell you just uh, how wonderful it is to be worshiping with all of you today. I'm grateful for uh, each of you that are here today. And um, just want to thank you for coming and being a part of our service today um, on this uh, 4th of July weekend. We really are thankful for all of you. I have a couple announcements I want to share before we get into our message today. Uh, the, the first one is that um, on Tuesday is our first popsicles at the playground with uh, our neighbors that are right around the corner uh, from us at uh, Miami Hills. Um, we're excited about this, of just creating some community, getting to know our, our neighbors that God has placed right here um, within our neighborhood, and, and just a way just to uh, have conversation to, with, with, the, with the kids, with their parents that, that are there as well. And just what, a, what an a, a amazing time it is that we're going to have every Tuesday from 6 until 7 o'clock. And it's just a, a laid-back opportunity for First, just to engage in activity, have conversation, and just build relationship with, um, with our neighbors that are right around the corner here. And so um, we need a minimum of eight adults to, to make this happen each week, and, and we would love for you to be a part of it. Um, and you don't have to sign up for every single Tuesday. If there's some that you can make and some you can't, that's, that's wonderful. But if you can just let us know, we would appreciate that. You can um, sign up at livingstones.events.com popsicles at the playground, or you can email Meredith at Meredith at Livingstones.cc, and we'll get you all the information that you need for that. Um, next thing I want to share with you is that on Friday, August 5th, we are going to be hosting a worship night here at the church. A uh, local singer-songwriter, her name is Savannah Whitaker, she's um, going to be hosting a worship concert uh, right here um, at, at, the, at the church, and it's going to be free of charge. Everybody is, is welcome. The one thing we do ask, though, is that you um, sign up and just let us know that you'll be here so that the tickets are free, but we ask that you do reserve tickets for that night, and you can sign up for those at livingstones.event slash worship night. It's just going to be a wonderful time just of, of worshiping together as a, as a church family, as a community. And then finally, I have one, one final thing to share with you is that we're looking to add some people to our landscape team here at Livingstones. We have a, 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 a big property here. We have a lot of just landscape needs that are here. And um, Wayne Carner, he is our buildings and grounds director and is looking to add some people just to come help be a part of our, of our landscape team, not just in maintaining the property, but also just in future planning as well. And so if you have, if you have a green thumb, if, if landscaping is a skill or a passion, of yours, we would love to have you just kind of be a part of not just beautifying our our uh, property here, but also just in in planning and, and helping it be a uh, uh, a thing that's going to be more manageable and easier to maintain for us as well. And so again, you can sign up for that at livingstones.event/landscape team or contact any of us on staff, and we'll put you in contact with Wayne as well. So um, we're going to move to our time of offering and giving this morning and. Um, and really, what, what we do when we give, it's an act of worship, that we are giving back 
a bit of what God has already blessed us with. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes that each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. He's saying, All right, I'm not going to twist your arm. I'm not going to try to guilt you into, into giving. But I want you to give what God has put in your heart. For God loves a cheerful giver. That we, by, you know, sure we do give out of an act of, of obedience at times, but what God wants is he wants us to give out of a heart of generosity, out of a heart of, of love for, for him, for his kingdom. And, and so when we, when we give here, when it, it really is an act of worship that, that we really have been so blessed. And even, even in the times where things feel really tight financially for us or even in those moments where, where we do feel like we are in some financial struggles like most people in the world would love to have the financial struggles that we find ourselves in, and, and we really have been so incredibly blessed. And so we, we give back in response to, to God's grace and in response to his provision in our lives, and really to advance the work that, that God is doing here at Livingstone, to advance the work that he is doing right here on the south side, and just in our community in, in general. We want to see God's kingdom grown and advanced. And so um, there, there's multiple different ways you can give. I'm, I'm going to pray in a moment. Our ushers will come forward. You can place your offering in the basket. We have boxes at the back of the worship center, or you can give online as well. But I just want to thank you for your continued generosity that allows us to do ministry here on the south side. So if you would, would you pray as our ushers come forward? And Father, we, we just thank you, God, for being a, an incredible provider. Thank you, God, for for always taking such good care of us in, in all things at all times. And Lord, we, we just pray that you would use this offering today to, to grow your kingdom, to expand it, to, to Father, for, for people to be able to come to know you through the generosity of, of your people. And Lord, we ask that you would grant us wisdom, Lord, to be good stewards of what it is that, that you have brought in, Lord, and God, that you would just bless your people as they give, not, not under compulsion, not, not, under, not, not giving reluctantly, but doing with a cheerful, generous heart. So Lord, bless our church family as they give today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as the baskets are, are being passed here, um, I want you to know, like, over the last number of weeks, you know that we have been going through the, the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the churches that were in Galatians. It's, it's been a fun series to do. We often do a lot of topical series here at Livingstones, and, and it's fun to be doing a more of a, like an exegetical uh, book uh, or exegetical study through one of the, the different books of, of the Bible. And, and one of the things that we're going to do is we close out the, the book of Galatians here today um, as Paul closes out his letter, he really gives a lot of some practical um, advice, so, some very practical applications for his readers as they are as are reading this. And so far in the book of Galatians, Paul has been addressing some of the issues that the churches in Galatia have been dealing with. When, when Paul traveled to Galatia and he planted these different churches, he shared with them the, the true gospel, and, and it really was good news. That, that Jesus had, had died for their sins in order to reconcile them with God, that one day he was going to come back and he, he was going to restore everything back to how it was supposed to be, and that there was nothing that needed to be done to earn our salvation. There, there was nothing that we had to do. All, all that was required was belief in Jesus as the Son of God and, and the work that he had done, the mission that he came on this earth to complete. That, that was it. That was the good news that Paul came to share with the churches in Galatia. But over time, that message, that message of the good news began to get polluted. 
false teachers had, had crept in at one, at one time or another, and, and, people, and they began teaching people that if they wanted to be a part of this new movement of following Jesus, they had to adhere to some of the Jewish law. They, they had to be circumcised. They had to engage in some of the dietary, Jewish dietary restrictions. And, and this entire letter is Paul's response and his dismantling of this idea, this mindset, that anything had to be added in order for you to be a part of the family of God. Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient. Nothing needs to be added to the work that Jesus did and that we can rest in that fact. And this was an idea, this principle that Paul is talking about is actually something that it would be wise for us all to, to hold on to and to put into practice in our own lives too. And it's this idea that things don't naturally stay healthy on their own, that it requires some work. It requires us to, to do some things for it. Like, I, I mean, if, if we want to maintain our bodies in a healthy way, we have to work for it. There's something we have to do. It doesn't just naturally happen. It doesn't naturally occur on its own. And, and that's what was starting to happen with these churches in Galatia. They started off healthy, but then they started to become unhealthy. They started to believe some of these different rules and practices that were being thrust upon them. And they started to get out of, out of alignment with what it was that God wanted. And, and in order to live the lives that God had for them, they were going to need to change some mindsets. They were going to need to change some of the ways that they were thinking, some of the ways that they were doing the things that they were doing. And, and so in this final chapter, Paul kind of gives some final thoughts about, about unity, about the way that we interact with, with other believers, but also kind of summarizes God's heart for all of us as the church, not just the churches in Galatia, but for us right here in, in 21st century America as well. And, and so I've, I've summarized kind of uh, Paul's highlights, in a way, of what he's talking about in this final chapter. And so if you're taking notes either on the app or in the bulletin, um, I want to encourage you to write these down as we go through them. But to begin in chapter 6, Paul talks and shares on something that really is a cornerstone for what he's called all of us to do and all of us to be a part of as the body of Christ, as the church. And so if you're, writing, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, that sharing burdens not imposing burdens. That as a church, as the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus, we are called to share burdens and not impose burdens on one another. Last week in chapter 5, Paul stated that, he said, do not let yourself be burdened again under a yoke of slavery. And what he was talking about is, all right, if you're attempting to follow God by following the law, if you're attempting to have relationship with Jesus by following the law, it's another form of bondage. It's, it's a form of, of slavery in a way. He, he made it analogous to, to, to in, in some ways, like when the Israelites left Egypt, of them going back into bondage, going back into slavery that they had already been delivered from. And the implication was, was that for the Judaizers that had come and started telling people that they needed to be circumcised, that they needed to follow the, the Old Testament Jewish law, that they were actually starting to... They, they were. Uh, becoming a burden, that that was a burden that was being placed on the new Gentile believers, and they were being put back into, into bondage. But Paul tells them, he says, don't impose additional burdens on one another. But in chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, he says, share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourselves. You are not that important. 
I, I, I love Paul's frankness and his honesty. He just said, you know what? If you think you're such a big deal that you don't have to help somebody else, that you don't have to share somebody else's burden, you're fooling yourself because you ain't that important. But what's so, what's so key about that is he says, no, no, we're not to impose additional burdens on others, but we're to share one another's burdens. We're to walk alongside those that, that are in the family of God. We're, we're, to, we're to, to love and to lift up and to encourage one another, not impose additional burdens. In, instead of making our pursuit of Jesus more difficult by adding rules and by adding guilt and judgmentalism, we're to find ways to help and to serve one another. The Greek word that's used there for the word for share, where he says to share one another's burdens, is bastazo. And, and the literal meaning is to carry, to bear, or to put upon oneself. And what Paul is saying is he's saying, all right, the burdens that, that your fellow believers have, the burdens that are around us, I want you to help take that burden off of them and place it on yourself, that you help carry the load for those around you. In some ways, this reminds me of a rebuke that Jesus had for the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. I'm going to read to you a portion from the message paraphrase. And Jesus is talking. He says, instead of giving you God's law as food and drink by which you can banquet with God, by which you can sit at the table and enjoy fellowship with God, they, meeting the Pharisees, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads and wouldn't think of lifting a finger to help. Their lives are perpetual fashion shows, embroidered prayer cloths, shawls one day, and flowery prayers the next. They love to sit at the head of the table at church dinners, basking in the most important positions, preening in the radiance of public flattery and receiving honorary degrees and getting called doctor or reverend. What, what, what Paul is talking about here. Is, is, is the very same thing that, or excuse me, what Jesus is talking about is the same thing that Paul is talking about. That not to add additional burdens to one another, but know that we ought to be coming alongside, that we should not be alone. We should not be doing this walk of faith by ourselves. That we need one another. In fact, just yesterday I, I had a, a friend reach out to me and just said, hey, would you be praying for me? I'm really struggling right now. And I was so excited about that. I was so thankful for that text message. Of, because it was, it, was a, it, it, it was illustrating exactly what Paul's talking about right here. I was saying we're, we're called to share one another's burdens, to bear with one another. So the one who's struggling who's struggling to, to follow Jesus, the one who, who might be struggling with sin, the one who might be struggling with their faith, the one who might be struggling with legalism, we're to bear with one another. We are to share each other's burdens, to, to take them upon ourselves and to make their load lighter. That somebody else's struggle might not be your struggle. But we walk alongside. We walk shoulder to shoulder. We, we carry one another's burdens and that's God's heart for the church. Not, not just Livingstone's, but the church overall. That is God's heart for the people of God. That we would not be walking this journey of faith alone by ourselves, but that we would have others that will walk alongside us. That we can share their burdens and they can share ours. It, it's such an important part of our Christian walk together. The next practical guidance that Paul gives the churches is that we are to invest in what matters. 
the church in, invests in, in what matters. And, and in sharing this, Paul uses a, a metaphor that would be instantly recognizable to his readers. Now today, and I even used it in, in this point here, is the, 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 we, we would probably talk about money or investment. But what Paul is talking about here, they, they were a very rural agrarian society. And so he uses the, the metaphor of farming to talk about investing in what matters. And so in Galatians 6, verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. That a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And last week when we were talking about this battle, this tension that we have between our flesh and our spirit, and this was personified when Paul talked about how there are acts of the flesh and there are fruits of the Spirit. And here in chapter 6, he's continuing that train of thought where he's saying, all right, what we choose, what we choose to sow and where we sow makes a difference. If we sow in ground and we sow wheat into the ground, at harvest time, we will reap wheat. If we sow corn or beans in, in the ground at harvest time, we'll reap corn or beans. If we, if we, if we sow beets into the ground, we're not going to reap watermelon. Or to use my analogy from last week, if we, if we plant an apple tree, we're not going to get kumquats from it. And the analogy that he's talking about is obvious here, that they're talking about the flesh in the spirit. If, if we want to reap the, the fruits of the spirit in our lives, love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, if we want to reap those things in our lives, if we want those things manifested in our lives, Paul states that we need to sow, we need to invest to plant the things of the Spirit in our lives so that we can reap the fruits of the Spirit. Like in, in, in other words, we can't expect to reap fruits of the Spirit if we're sowing acts of the flesh. If we're living a, a, a self-centered, self-focused life, life that's about me, about pursuing pleasure, about the pursuit of things of the flesh, I can't be surprised when the, when the fruits of the Spirit are lacking in my life. What we invest in matters. What we sow, what we plant matters. And, and this leads to Paul's next point of encouragement where he says perseverance pays off. That if anybody's ever farmed or anybody's ever planted a vegetable garden or flowers or anything like that, you recognize this principle, what he's talking about, sowing and reaping, that perseverance will pay off. And there's lots of times in our lives where, where we're pushing, we're working hard at something, and it just seems like we're making no progress at all. And it's easy to become impatient because it feels like, all right, this isn't working. I'm not getting anywhere. And how many times have, have we probably all been there where we decide, all right, I'm going to get myself healthy, I'm going to start eating better, I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to cut sweets out of my diet. I'm going to cut sodas out of my diet. You know, I'm going I'm to focus. I'm going to get myself healthier. And, and you, you really pour into it for, for two weeks, let's say, and you stand on the scale, and you're like, what the heck? Like, like and the scales, and I, I, the worst part is like when you've actually gone up, and, and you're just like, what, what in the world? Like, I'm here, I'm busting my tail. I'm trying as hard as I can, and I'm getting nowhere. Or, may, or maybe like if, if, you're, if you're in a tough financial situation and you decide, all right, I'm going to get my financial house in order. 
I'm going to start paying off debt. I'm going to start saving. And it just feels like the progress is so slow. And you're not actually getting anywhere. And it can feel so discouraging and so demoralizing when we're trying to do the right things. When we're trying to make those good investments. And it seems or it feels like it's not actually working at all. And so as Paul is talking about sowing and reaping, he's talking about this, this battle and this tension between the, the spirit and the flesh. His next lines are in verse 9, he says, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. And, and verse 9 is, is one of my favorite verses. He's saying, like, when it feels like no progress is being made, when it feels like, all right, you're putting in the hard work, but you're not seeing the benefit. You're not seeing the results. It's not paying off. When you're trying to do the difficult things of following God, of having faith, loving others, blessing your enemies, serving, praying, giving, trusting God, all right, you're trying to do those hard things. And it feels like nothing is happening. Nothing's going right. I'm not reaping anything solid in my life. When it feels like a waste of time, Paul's saying, don't give up. Let's not get tired in doing good. Let's not get tired in doing those right things. Let's not get tired in investing in the things of the Spirit in my life. Because he says at the right time, you will reap a harvest of blessing. And you may not see it right now. And you may not see it a week from now. You may not see it next year. You may not even see it five years from now. But that promise is worth hanging on to. I, I came across this story a, a while back, and I found it very appropriate for, uh, just talking about this, about just having perseverance and having patience. But in 1917, an artist named Gustav Klimt, he was a, an Austrian expressionist painter. He, he painted probably one of his most famous works, if you can put it up on the screen, and it's it's got a very boring title. It's just called Portrait of a Lady. And, and this, this is probably his, his most famous uh, work of art that he ever did. And, and a couple years later, it was bought and placed in the gallery in Piacenza in northern Italy. And it stayed in, in the gallery in, in northern Italy until 1997 when it was discovered that the portrait of a lady had been stolen. It was gone. It, it had been stolen. The, the frame of, uh, that was around the painting was found up on the roof by a, by a skylight there, and that was, that was the only evidence. That was the last thing they ever found or ever heard of this painting. And, and investigators, they looked and they tried, and they actually ended up closing the case because it seemed like this painting that has an estimated value of, of $70 million was, was gone. Like they weren't, they weren't going to see it again. But then actually just a couple years ago, in December of 2019, there were some gardeners, they were clearing away some ivy around the very same uh, gallery where it had been stolen from, and they found this, this rusted out metal door, if you can actually put it up here, and they were clearing the ivy away, and they opened the, up the door, and inside, rolled up in a garbage bag, in a black garbage bag, was the portrait of a lady. And it had been sitting there for 23 years, that, that I, and they don't know what happened, but whoever stole it, they stashed it here, and it got left there for 23 years before it was discovered again. And I share the story because it, it's one of the most famous stories of a painting that had been lost or had been stolen and had been found again, but it took 23 years to find it. 
that it was, it was assumed that it had been lost or it had been destroyed. They anticipated not ever seeing it again. But just like in our walk with God, that perseverance pays off. Even when it feels like, even when it might look like no progress is being made, we can trust that God is at work if we are sowing those good things. And Paul, he closes out his letter to the Galatian churches by circling back to something that he's been talking about throughout this entire letter, about performing and how we don't have to add anything to the grace of God. And in verse 12, Paul goes on to say, he says, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised, the Judaizers, they want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the excuse me, they don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And that's such a beautiful statement right there. Because even now today, there's people that say, all right, just faith in Jesus, that's too easy. It's too simple all right, to, to say, oh yes, I, I'm putting my faith, my hope, my trust in Jesus alone. That we have to back it up with something else. And Paul's saying, absolutely not. They don't want to be persecuted for, for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision, they don't even keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. He, he's, saying, he's saying, all right, they're doing it for their own ego. They're, they're doing it for control. They're, they're trying to say, all right, we want you to be circumcised. We want you to follow these Old Testament laws so that we feel good about ourselves. So they can count you as one of their disciples. And he says, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. Paul's saying, he's saying, we shouldn't brag about anything that has to do with us, anything that has to do with me, anything that has to do with my goodness, any act that I do. If, if we're doing that, we're just being foolish. Paul says, may I boast only in the cross of Christ, not, not anything else. And I'll say it like, like this, this next point that Paul tells us. He says that appearances can be deceiving. Like Paul, he kind of warns us about the Judaizers, those that have come in and they talk a good game. Because it's, it, sounds, it sounds right. It sounds good that, that we ought to evaluate those that come, or, that come and speak to us. You should evaluate me. The things that I share, the things that I'm, that I'm saying, don't just take my word for it because I'm saying it, because I stand up here because I may have the title of pastor. That doesn't mean that we walk around skeptical and suspicious of everybody, but we also need to evaluate those that we're, those that we're giving influence into our lives, those that we're allowing to speak into our lives. And the things that the, the Judaizers were telling the new Gentile believers, they sounded good. They sounded good. It sounded like they were being spiritual. All right, if you really want to be a part of this new movement, if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, you need to do these things. Because just putting our faith in him, it doesn't feel like we're doing anything. It doesn't feel like, like we've actually done or accomplished anything in that. 
But in actuality, what they were doing is they were promoting legalism. They were adding burdens onto the people that were not of God. And it's the same pharisaical mindset that we talked about before, about adding burdens onto somebody instead of taking them away. And again, this was another issue that Jesus directly addressed with the Pharisees in his time. In Matthew 23, verse 25, he says, What sorrow awaits you, you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Like the Judaizers, they were the latest incarnation of the Pharisees that Jesus was talking about. Jesus, like, Jesus was saying, outwardly, yeah, you look good. You say the right things. You do the right things. Like what you, what, how it appears to everybody else looks spiritual. It looks great. But inside, you're rotten to the core. And the sad reality is we don't have to look too far today to see this manifested right now in our time as well. Like, how, I mean, how many people, and, and often it's people with a really big microphone too, where in the name of, of holiness or piety or righteousness, they look like they have everything together on the outside. They look, they look like everything is great, and yet they are some of the meanest, judgmental, unforgiving, ungracious people you can come across. Uh, obviously, I'm painting with a, a broad brush, but I think we've all encountered people like that, where outside, the cup is clean, the dish is clean, it's a whitewashed tomb on the outside. But inside, it said it's filled with dead man's bones. Like Paul and Jesus are addressing this same phenomenon, and it really strikes the heart of everything that Paul has been saying in this letter to the Galatian churches. That it's not the outside that makes a person righteous, it's not the outside that makes them right with God, it's not the outside that anybody ought to be impressed with, because in the end, what God desires most, more, more than anything else, and this is the, the final point I want to share this morning, is that God desires transformation, not performance. It's easy to clean the outside. It's easy to act the part. It's easy to, to say the right things. It's easy to put on a front. It's easy to act. But God's not interested in, in behavior modification. God isn't interested in performance. He's interested in transformation. And a transformation that only happens and only occurs when we have an encounter with the one and only Son of God. In Galatians 6.15, Paul kind of closes out this book, and he says, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. And may God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle, for they are the new people of God. This is such a, a, a uh, an amazing statement that Paul is making here. He's, he really sums up the, his entire book, his entire letter right here in these verses. That it doesn't matter whether you've been circumcised or not. 
God doesn't desire performance. He desires transformation. And it's very, he uses very similar language in 2 Corinthians 5.17 where he says, Therefore, if anyone is in, new, in Christ, if anyone is in, anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. He said, all right, if you are in Christ, if you have given your, your life to him, if you put your faith and your hope and your trust in him, if you've come to, to, to Jesus with, with humbleness and repentance, you are a new creation. We, we don't become a new creation by performing. We don't become a new creation by, by fulfilling religious duties. We're not a new creation because we've been circumcised. We're not a new creation because, because we come to church, because we, be, we tithe, we serve on a team, because we're reading the word, because we're praying, because we're loving our neighbor. We don't become a new creation through any of that. We do those things because we're a new creation, because God and Jesus has transformed our lives. That, that's why, and that was Paul's story. Like Paul knew this so well because it was his story that many of you are probably familiar, but as a younger man, Paul was one of the very Pharisees that Jesus was rebuking. As a young man, he, he stood by as Stephen became the, the first Christian martyr, as, as Stephen was being stoned to death. Paul was right there cheering it on. He applauded it. And, and, and you could say that, that, that the stoning of Stephen was, was a foundational moment in Paul's life. His name was Saul at the time. It was a foundational moment for him because as a devout Pharisee, he made it his mission to, to root out, to persecute, to arrest, to kill anyone who would become followers of Jesus. And in Acts 8.3, it says that Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Like re reading that, it reminded me of, of the accounts we would read from our soldiers in Iraq, especially in Mosul, where they would literally do house-by-house house sweeps looking for ISIS fighters. And this, this is what Paul was doing, except he wasn't, he wasn't looking for armed terrorists. He was looking for followers of Jesus. And if he found you, he dragged you off. You were put in prison. And on one such journey, as Paul was leaving Jerusalem, he was heading to a town called Damascus, he has this amazing encounter with Jesus. He, he's blinded for, for a moment. He's knocked down. And he's utter, utterly transformed. Jesus changed the course of his life in that moment. That, that a man who had, who had been so zealous and wanting to stamp out the early church, Jesus called him and commissioned him to be his representative to the Gentile world. I mean, think of how crazy that would be for Paul, a Pharisee, because Pharisees, they hated the Gentiles, wanted nothing to do with them. They were unclean, we, like we don't associate with them at all. And Jesus says to Paul, he says, hey, I'm calling you. You're going to be my representative to the Gentile world. Like what an incredible shock that would have been to, to a Gentile-hating Pharisee like himself. He, he'd gone from, from the great persecutor of the church to actually being the church's greatest advocate. And, and he, Paul underwent this radical transformation. It was so radical that even the other apostles were very skeptical of them. When he came to try to talk with them and engage with them, they, they were leery. They were like, all right, I don't know about this. Like, maybe this is a ruse. Maybe he's trying to trick us. Like, I, I'm not sure. We're, we're not, we don't know what to do with you right now, Paul. 
and Paul's transformation changed the course of history. Like he spread the good news of Jesus among the Gentile world at the time. Paul being the single greatest missionary of all time, taking what was, what was just a small Jewish sect in Israel and actually taking it throughout the known world. Like his letters have been canonized in Scripture and have influenced and encouraged billions of people throughout the centuries. He had a radical transformation that we're reaping the benefits of to this day. And if you, and if you belong to Christ, you have a transformation story too. Paul said in 2 Corinthians that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You have a transformation story. And maybe you have a dramatic experience like Paul's. Perhaps you were on drugs. You were living a life that was diametrically opposed to the things of God. Maybe your story is, is like Paul's where not only did you reject the things of Christ, but you were actively fighting against them. I've known people like that. I've known people that lived a, a hellacious life. And in a moment, just like Paul, they were instantly transformed. They were instantly changed. Or your experience might be different. Maybe your experience is different than, than Paul's. For you, maybe it wasn't like this single dramatic moment like Paul's on the road to Damascus. For many, their conversion experience is one of, of a gradual understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it was not a, a single life-altering event, but a more incremental, a more progressive journey that you've had with Christ. And there is no right or wrong way. There's no preferable way to come to Christ to be transformed. But the thing that remains the same in both instances is that they're both stories of transformation, that we ought to be able to look back on our lives and see, wow, the way I live today is different than how I lived before I knew Christ, before I encountered him, before I met him. We don't live differently now than we did before because we're trying to appease God. We're not doing these things as, as, a, as an attempt to try to earn God's approval, but instead we live differently because we've been transformed into a new creation. We don't, we, don't try to, we don't try to change the behavior in order to be transformed. We're transformed and our behavior changes as a result. Like, thank God I'm not who I used to be. A, a, a foul-mouthed blasphemer who thought God was a joke, who thought those who believed in him were small-minded simpletons. Like, I, I'm so thankful for that, that I'm not the man that I used to be. And, and Paul's statement at the end of his letter to the Galatians, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we've been transformed into a new creation. And may God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by that principle. They are the new people of God, and that's worth celebrating today that we've been made new, that we, that we are a new creation. And Paul's prayer of peace and mercy for all those that live according to that principle, that prayer is for you. That prayer is for all of us in this room here today. For those that don't try to make it to God, that don't try to reconcile ourselves to God through our works, but we do it through our faith and our faith alone. Peace and blessing on those that live by that principle. And so as we close out this morning, the, the book of Galatians, his, his letter to all the different churches that were in Galatia, it really is a kind of a, a pushback against an age-old idea that we need to make our way to God. 
that we need we that we uh we we become close to god by the things that we do and this has been an idea a mentality that goes as far back as human beings do like virtually every religion throughout time has required that people perform that people sacrifice that people fulfill duties or rituals in order to appease god or the gods and paul emphatically pushes back against that mindset he says, it's all about Jesus, has nothing to do with you. It's all about Jesus. We don't add anything to the work that he did. The change that happens in our lives, the things that we do, they're, they're a natural result, they're a natural byproduct of Jesus' transforming work within us. And we shouldn't switch that order around. It's such a freeing concept if we can truly grab a hold of this. And and I want to pray for us this morning as a church body, that if there's anybody that's been here that's been struggling with this idea of what I should do or what I ought to be doing, if, if you've been struggling with this mindset, all right, God will be happy with me if I'm doing X, Y, Z, if I say this, if I do that, if I give here, if I serve there, if I do this or I stay away from that. If that's the trap that you've been in, I want to pray for you and encourage you this morning. That God doesn't want your performance. He wants our transformation. That other stuff will come. When we sow into the Spirit, we'll start to see the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. When, when we start following after Jesus, when we are being led by the Spirit as we were talking about last week, those other things will come. He says pursue transformation, not performance. And so if you would, would you bow your heads and just allow me to pray for us this morning? And Father, I, I am so thankful and grateful for you. God, for your incredible love, your incredible grace, your incredible blessings. Lord, thank you, God, for the way that you love us, Lord, that we don't have to perform, that we don't have duties or rites or rituals or anything like that that we need to do in order to come to you. God, you told us that we can come to you just as we are, that faith is enough. Nothing needs to be added to it, Lord. And God, we stand on that promise. We stand on that promise, Lord, that nothing needs to be added. And for those in the room that maybe have been struggling, of feeling like they need to perform, or maybe they've been struggling, as we were talking about before, uh, of, of feeling like, I'm, I'm trying to, to be led by the Spirit. I'm trying to, to sow into these things of the Spirit. I'm, I'm trying to serve God. I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to follow after Him. And it just feels like it's not working out at all. I'm not seeing the fruits of the Spirit in my life. Lord, I pray for those in the room that are struggling with that right now. God, that they would not grow weary in doing good. They would not grow weary in doing well. But God, that they would persevere because you said at the right time, that they will reap a harvest if they don't give up. And so, Lord, I pray for those in the room that feel like maybe giving up, maybe thinking that this, this Jesus thing, this Christian thing just, just doesn't work. God, that they would see you sustain them through it. And God, as, as a church body, that we would live out these words that Paul was talking about, that we would share one another's burdens, that we would be able to walk in freedom, that we would find perseverance, that we would invest in the things that matter. And at the end of the day, Lord, God, that we would seek transformation over performance. God, do your work that only you can do inside each one of us, Lord. 
We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, family.